Book Three of the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kurt Ziegler. The Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. Translated by Charles Johnson. Book Three, Twenty-Nine through Fifty-Five. Twenty-Nine perfectly concentrated meditation on the center of force in the lower trunk brings an understanding of the order of the bodily powers we are coming to a vitally important part of the teaching of yoga namely the spiritual man's attainment of full self-consciousness the awakening of the spiritual man as a self-conscious individual behind and above the natural man in this awakening and in the process of gestation which precedes it there is a close relation with the powers of the natural man which are in a certain sense the projection outward and downward of the powers of the spiritual man this is notably true of that creative power of the spiritual man which when embodied in the natural man becomes the power of generation not only is this power the cause of the continuance of the bodily race of mankind but further in the individual it is the key to the dominance of personal life rising as it were through the life channels of the body it flushes the personality with physical force and maintains and colors the illusion that the physical life is the dominant and all-important expression of life in due time when the spiritual man has begun to take form the creative force will be drawn off and become operative in building the body of the spiritual man just as it has been operative in the building of physical bodies through generation in the natural world perfectly concentrated meditation on the nature of this force means first that rising of the consciousness into the spiritual world already described which gives the one sure foothold for meditation and then from that spiritual point of vantage not only an insight into the creative force in its spiritual and physical aspects but also a gradually attained control of this wonderful force which will mean its direction to the body of the spiritual man and its gradual withdrawal from the body of the natural man until the overpressure so general and such a fruitful source of misery in our day is abated and purity takes the place of passion this overpressure which is the cause of so many evils and so much of human shame is an abnormal not a natural condition it is primarily due to the spiritual blindness to blindness regarding the spiritual man and ignorance even of his existence for by this blind ignorance are closed the channels through which were they open the creative force could flow into the body of the spiritual man there building up an immortal vesture there is no cure for blindness with its consequent overpressure and attendant misery and shame but spiritual vision spiritual aspiration sacrifice the new birth from above there is no other way to lighten the burden to lift the misery and shame from human life therefore let us follow after sacrifice and aspiration let us seek the light in this way only shall we gain that insight into the order of bodily powers and that mastery of them which this sutra implies thirty by perfectly concentrated meditation on the center of force in the well of the throat there comes the cessation of hunger and thirst 
We are continuing the study of the bodily powers and centers of force in their relation to the powers and forces of the spiritual man. We have already considered the dominant power of physical life, the creative power which secures the continuance of physical life, and further the manner in which, through aspiration and sacrifice, it is gradually raised and set to the work of upbuilding the body of the spiritual man. We now come to the dominant psychic force, the power which manifests itself in speech, and in virtue of which the voice may carry so much of the personal magnetism, endowing the orator with a tongue of fire, magical in its power to arouse and rule the emotions of his hearers. This emotional power, this distinctively cyclical force, is the cause of hunger and thirst the psychical hunger and thirst for sensations which is the source of our two-sided life of emotionalism with its hopes and fears its expectations and memories its desires and hates the source of this psychical power or perhaps we should say its center of activity in the physical body is said to be in the cavity of the throat thus in the taitriya upanishad it is written there is this shining ether in the inner being therein is the spiritual man formed through thought immortal golden inward in the palate the organ that hangs down like a nipple this is the womb of indra and there where the dividing of the hair turns extending upward to the crown of the head indra is the name given to the creative power of which we have spoken and which we are told resides in the organ which hangs down like a nipple inward in the palate thirty one by perfectly concentrated meditation on the center of force in the channel called tortoise formed comes steadfastness we are concerned now with the center of the nervous or psychical force below the cavity of the throat in the chest in which is felt the sensation of fear the center the disturbance of which sets the heart beating miserably with dread or which produces that sense of terror through which the heart is said to stand still when the truth concerning fear is thoroughly mastered through spiritual insight into the immortal fearless life then this force is perfectly controlled there is no more fear just as through the control of the psychic power which works through the nerve center in the throat there comes a cessation of hunger and thirst thereafter these forces or their spiritual prototypes are turned to the building of the spiritual man always it must be remembered the victory is first a spiritual one only later does it bring control of the bodily powers thirty two through perfectly concentrated meditation on the light in the head comes the vision of the masters who have attained the tradition is that there is a certain center of force in the head perhaps the penal gland which some of our western philosophers have supposed to be the dwelling of the soul a center which is as it were a doorway between the natural and the spiritual man it is the seat of that better and wiser consciousness behind the outward-looking consciousness in the forward part of the head and that better and wiser consciousness in the back of the mind which views spiritual things and seeks to impress the spiritual view on the outward-looking consciousness in the forward part of the head it is the spiritual man seeking to guide the natural man seeking to bring the natural man to concern himself with the things of his immortality this is suggested in the words of the upanishad already quoted 
there where the dividing of the hair turns, extending upward to the crown of the head. All of which may sound very fantastical, until one comes to understand it. It is said that when this power is fully awakened, it brings a vision of the great companions of spiritual man, those who have already attained, crossing over to the further shore of the sea, of death and rebirth. Perhaps it is to this divine sight that the Master alluded, who is reported to have said, I counsel you to buy of me Isav, that you may see. It is of this same vision of the great companions, the children of light, that a seer wrote, Though inland far we be, our souls have sight of that immortal sea, which brought us hither, can in a moment travel thither, and see the children sport upon the shore, and hear the mighty waters rolling evermore. 33. Or through the divining power of tuition he knows all things. This is really the supplement, the spiritual side of the sutra just translated. Step by step, as the better consciousness, the spiritual view, gains force in the back of the mind, so in the same measure, the spiritual man is gaining the power to see, learning to open the spiritual eyes. When the eyes are fully opened, the spiritual man beholds the great companions standing about him. He has begun to know all things. This divining power of intuition is the power which lies above and behind the so-called rational mind. The rational mind formulates a question and lays it before the intuition, which gives a real answer, often immediately distorted by the rational mind, yet always embodying a kernel of truth. By this process, through which the rational mind brings questions to the intuition for a solution, that the truths of science are reached, the flashes of discovery and genius. But this higher power need not work in subordination to the so-called rational mind. It may act directly as full illumination, the vision and the faculty divine. 34. By perfectly concentrated meditation on the heart, the interior being comes the knowledge of consciousness the heart here seems to mean as it so often does in the upanishads the interior spiritual nature the consciousness of the spiritual man which is related to the heart and to the wisdom of the heart by steadily seeking after and finding the consciousness of the spiritual man by coming to consciousness as the spiritual man a perfect knowledge of consciousness will be obtained for the consciousness of the spiritual man has this divine quality while being and remaining a truly individual consciousness it at the same time flows over as it were and blends with the divine consciousness above and about it the consciousness of the great companions and by showing itself to be one with the divine consciousness it reveals the nature of all consciousness the secret that all consciousness is one and divine. 35. The personal self seeks to feast on life through a failure to perceive the distinction between the personal self and the spiritual man. All personal experience really exists for the sake of another, namely, the spiritual man. By perfectly concentrated meditation on experience for the sake of the self comes a knowledge of the spiritual man. The divine ray of the higher self, which is eternal, impersonal and abstract, descends into life, 
and forms a personality which through the stress and storm of life is hammered into a definite and concrete self-conscious individuality the problem is to blend these two powers taking the eternal and the spiritual being of the first and blending with it transferring into it the self-conscious individuality of the second and thus bringing to life a third being the spiritual man who is heir to the immortality of his father the higher self and yet has the self-conscious concrete individuality of his other parent the personal self this is the true immaculate conception the new birth from above conceived of the holy spirit of this new birth it is said that which is born of the spirit is spirit ye must be born again rightly understood therefore the whole life of the personal man is for another not for himself he exists only to render his very life and all his experience for the building up of the spiritual man only through failure to see this does he seek enjoyment for himself seek to secure the feasts of life for himself not understanding that he must live for the other live sacrificially offering both feasts and his very being on the altar giving himself as a contribution for the building of the spiritual man when he does understand this and lives for the higher self setting his heart and thought upon the higher self then his sacrifice bears divine fruit the spiritual man is built up consciousness awakes in him and he comes fully into being as a divine and immortal individuality 36 thereupon are born the divine power of intuition and the hearing the touch the vision the taste and the power of smell of the spiritual man when in virtue of the perpetual sacrifice of the personal man daily and hourly giving his life for his divine brother the spiritual man and through the radiance ever pouring down from the higher self eternal in the heavens the spiritual man comes to birth there awake in him those powers those physical counterparts we know in the personal man the spiritual man begins to see to hear to touch to taste and besides the senses of the spiritual man there awakes in his mind that divine counterpart of the mind of the physical man the power of direct and immediate knowledge the power of spiritual intuition of divination this power as we have seen owes its virtue to the unity the continuity of consciousness whereby whatever is known to any consciousness is knowable by any other consciousness thus the consciousness of the spiritual man who lives above our narrow barriers of separateness is in intimate touch with the consciousness of the great companions and can draw on that vast reservoir for all real needs thus arises within the spiritual man that certain knowledge which is called intuition divination illumination 37 these powers stand in contradistinction to the highest spiritual vision in manifestation they are called magical powers the divine man is destined to supersede the spiritual man as the spiritual man supersedes the natural man then the disciple becomes a master 
the open powers of the spiritual man spiritual vision hearing and touch stand therefore in contradistinction to the higher divine power above them and must in no wise be regarded as the end of the way for the path has no end but rises ever to higher and higher glories the soul's growth and splendor have no limit so that if the spiritual powers we have been considering are regarded as in any sense final they are a hindrance a barrier to the far higher powers of the divine man but viewed from below from the standpoint of normal physical experience they are powers truly magical as the powers natural to a four-dimensional being will appear magical to a three-dimensional being thirty eight through the weakening of the causes of bondage and by learning the method of sassing the consciousness is transferred to the other body in due time after the spiritual man has formed and grown stable through the forces and virtues already enumerated and after the senses of the spiritual man have awakened there comes the transfer of the dominant consciousness the sense of individuality from the physical to the spiritual man thereafter the physical man is felt to be secondary a subordinate an instrument through whom the spiritual man works and the spiritual man is felt to be the real individuality this is in a sense the attainment to full salvation and immortal life yet it is not the final goal or resting place but only the beginning of the greater way the means for this transfer are described as the weakening of the causes of bondage and an understanding of the method of passing from one consciousness to the other the first may be also described as detachment and comes from the conquest of the delusion that the personal self is the real man when that delusion abates and is held in check the finer consciousness of the spiritual man begins to shine in the background of the mind the transfer of the sense of individuality to this finer consciousness and thus to the spiritual man then becomes a matter of recollection of attention primarily a matter of taking in a deeper interest in the life and doings of the spiritual man than in the pleasures or occupations of the personality therefore it is said lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust cloth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven and neither moth nor rust cloth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal for where your treasure is there will your heart be also thirty nine through mastery of the upward life comes freedom from the dangers of water morass and thorny places and the power of ascension is gained here is one of the sentences so characteristic of this author and indeed of the eastern spirit in which there is an obvious exterior meaning and within this a clear interior meaning not quite so obvious but far more vital the surface meaning is that by mastery of a certain power called here the upward life and akin to levitation there comes the ability to walk on water or to pass over thorny places without wounding the feet but there is a deeper meaning when we speak of the disciples path as a path of thorns we use a symbol and the same symbol is used here the upward life means something more than the power 
often manifested in abnormal psychical experiences of levitating the physical body or nearby physical objects it means the strong power of aspiration of upward will which first builds then awakes the spiritual man and finally transfers the conscious individuality to him for it is he who passes safely over the waters of death and rebirth and is not pierced by the thorns in the path therefore it is said that he who would tread the path of power must look for a home in the air and afterwards in the ether of the upward life this is written in the katha upanishad a hundred and one are the heart's channels of these one passes to the crown going up this he comes to the immortal this is the power of ascension spoken of in the sutra 40 by mastery of the binding life comes radiance the upanishads it is said that this binding life unites the upward life to the downward life and these lives have their analogies in the vital breaths in the body the thought in the text seems to be that when the personality is brought thoroughly under control of the spiritual man through the life currents which bind them together the personality is endowed with a new force a strong personal magnetism one might call it such as is often an appanage of genius but the text seems to mean more than this and to have in view the vesture of the color of the sun attributed by the upanishads to the spiritual man that vesture which a disciple has thus described the lord shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body perhaps body of radiance would better translate the greek in both these passages the teaching seems to be that the body of the full-grown spiritual man is radiant or luminous for those at least who have anointed their eyes with eye salve so that they see 41 from perfectly concentrated meditation on the correlation of hearing and the ether comes the power of spiritual hearing physical sound we are told is carried by the air or by water iron or some medium on the same plane of substance but then is a finer hearing whose medium of transmission would seem to be the ether perhaps not that ether which carries light heat and magnetic waves but it may be the far finer ether through which the power of gravity works for while light or heat or magnetic waves traveling from the sun to the earth take eight minutes for the journey it is mathematically certain that the pull of gravity does not take as much as eight seconds or even an eighth of a second the pull of gravity travels it would seem as quick as thought so it may well be that in thought transference or telepathy the thoughts travel by the same way carried by the same thought swift medium the transfer of a word by telepathy is the simplest and earliest form of the divine hearing of the spiritual man as that power grows and as through perfectly concentrated meditation the spiritual man comes into more complete mastery of it he grows able to hear and clearly distinguish the speech of the great companions whose counsel and comfort him on his way they may speak to him either in wordless thoughts or in perfectly definite words and sentences 42 
by perfectly concentrated meditation on the correlation of the body with the ether and by thinking of it as light as thistledown will come the power to traverse the ether it has been said that he who would tread the path of power must look for a home in the air and afterwards in the ether this would seem to mean besides the constant injunction to detachment that he must be prepared to inhabit at first a psychic and then an etheric body the former being the body of dreams the latter the body of the spiritual man when he wakes up on the other side of dreamland the gradual accustoming to the consciousness of this new etheric vesture its gradual acclimatization so to speak in the etheric body of the spiritual man is what our text seems to contemplate forty three when that condition of consciousness is reached which is far-reaching and not confined to the body which is outside the body and not conditioned by it then the veil which conceals the light is torn away perhaps the best comment on this is afforded by the words of paul i knew a man in christ above fourteen years ago whether in the body i cannot tell or whether out of the body i cannot tell god knoweth such a one caught up to the third heaven and i knew such a man whether in the body or out of the body i cannot tell god knoweth how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable or unspoken words which is not lawful for a man to utter the condition is briefly that the awakened spiritual man who sees and hears beyond the veil forty four mastery of the elements comes from perfectly concentrated meditation on their five forms the gross the elemental the subtle the inherent the propositive these five forms are analogous to those recognized by modern physics solid liquid gaseous radiant and ionic when the piercing vision of the awakened spiritual man is directed to the forms of matter from within as it were from behind the scenes then perfect mastery over the beggarly elements is attained this is perhaps equivalent to the injunction inquire of the earth the air and the water of the secrets they hold for you the development of your inner senses will enable you to do this forty five thereupon will come the manifestation of the atomic and other powers which are the endowment of the body together with its unassailable force the body in question is of course the etheric body of the spiritual man he is said to possess eight powers the atomic the power of assimilating himself with nature of the atom which will perhaps involve the power to disintegrate material forms the power of levitation the power of limitless extension the power of boundless reach so that as the commentator says he can touch the moon with the tip of his finger the power to accomplish his will the power of gravitation the correlative of levitation the power of command the power of creative will these are the endowments of the spiritual man further the spiritual body is unassailable fire burns it not water wets it not the sword cleaves it not dry winds parch it not and it is said the spiritual man can impart something of this quality and temper to his bodily vesture forty six shapeliness beauty force the temper of the diamond 
These are the endowments of that body. The spiritual man is shapely, beautiful, strong, firm as the diamond. Therefore it is written, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. He that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him I give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and I will give him the morning star. 47. Mastery over the powers of perception and action come through perfectly concentrated meditation on their fivefold forms, namely, their power to grasp their distinctive nature, the element of self-consciousness in them, their inherence and their purposiveness. Take, for example, sight. This possesses, first, the power to grasp, apprehend, perceive. Second, it has its distinctive form of perception, that is, visual perception. Third, it always carries with its operations self-consciousness, the thought, I perceive. Fourth, sight has the power of extension through the whole field of vision, even to the utmost star. Fifth, it is used for the purposes of the seer. So with the other senses, perfectly concentrated meditation on each sense, of viewing it from behind and within, as is possible for the spiritual man, brings a mastery of the scope and true character of each sense, and of the world on which they report collectively. 48. Thence comes the power shift as thought, independent of instruments, and the mastery over matter. We are further enumerating the endowments of the spiritual man. Among these is the power to traverse space with the swiftness of thought, so that whatever place the spiritual man thinks of, to that he goes. In that place he already is. Thought has now become his means of locomotion. He is therefore independent of instruments, and can bring this force to bear directly wherever he wills. 49. When the spiritual man is perfectly disentangled from the psychic body, he attains to a mastery over all things, and to a knowledge of all. The spiritual man is enmeshed in a web of the emotions. Desire, fear, ambition, passion, and impeded by the mental forms of separateness and materialism. When these meshes are sundered, these obstacles completely overcome. Then the spiritual man stands forth on his own wide world, strong, mighty, wise. He uses divine powers with a divine scope and energy, working together with divine companions. To such a one it is said, Thou art now a disciple, able to stand, able to hear, able to see, able to speak. Thou hast conquered desire and attained to self-knowledge. Thou hast seen thy soul in its bloom and recognized it, and heard the voice of the silence. 50. By absence of all self-indulgence at this point, when the seeds of bondage to sow are destroyed, pure spiritual being is attained. The seeking of indulgence for the personal self, whether through passion or ambition, sows the seed of future sorrow. For this self-indulgence of the personality is a double sin against the real, a sin against the cleanliness of life, 
and a sin against the universal being which permits no exclusive particular good since in the real all spiritual possessions are held in common this twofold sin brings its reaching punishment its confining bondage to sorrow but ceasing from self-indulgence brings purity liberation spiritual life fifty one there should be a complete overcoming of allurement or pride in the invitations of the different realms of life lest attachment to things evil arise once more the commentator tells us that disciples seekers for union are of four degrees first those who are entering the path second those who are in the realm of allurements third those who have won the victory over matter and the senses fourth those who stand firm in pure spiritual life to the second especially the caution in the texts is addressed more modern teachers would express the same truth by a warning against the delusions and fascinations of the psychic realm which open around the disciple as he breaks through into the unseen worlds these are the dangers of the anteroom safety lies in passing on swiftly into the inner chamber him that overcometh will i make a pillar in the temple of my god and he shall go no more out fifty two from perfectly concentrated meditation on the divisions of time and their succession comes that wisdom which is born of discernment the upanishads say of the liberated that he has passed beyond the triad of time he no longer sees life as projected into the past present and future since these forms are of the mind but beholds all things spread out in the quiet light of the eternal this would seem to be the same thought and to point to that clear-eyed spiritual perception which is above time that wisdom born of the unveiling of time's delusion then shall the disciple live neither in the present nor in the future but in the eternal fifty three hence comes discernment between things which are of like nature not distinguished by difference of kind character or position here as also in the preceding sutra we are close to the doctrine that distinctions of order time and space are creations of the mind the threefold prism through which the real object appears to us distorted and refracted when the prism is withdrawn the object returns to its primal unity no longer distinguishable by the mind yet clearly knowable by that higher power of spiritual discernment of illumination which is above the mind fifty four the wisdom which is born of discernment is star-like it discerns all things and all conditions of things it discerns without succession simultaneously that wisdom that intuitive divining power is star-like says the commentator because it shines with its own light because it rises on high and illumines all things not is hid from it whether things past things present or things to come for it is beyond the threefold form of time so that all things are spread before it together in the single light of the divine this power has been beautifully described by columba some there are though very few to whom divine grace has granted this that they can clearly and most distinctly see at one and at the same moment as though under one ray of the sun 
even the entire circuit of the whole world with its surroundings of ocean and sky the inmost part of their mind being marvelously enlarged 55 when the vesture and the spiritual man are alike pure then the perfect spiritual life is attained the vesture says the commentator must first be washed pure of all stains of passion and darkness and the seeds of future sorrow must be burned up utterly then both the vesture and the wearer of the vesture being alike pure the spiritual man enters into perfect spiritual life end of book three recording by kirk ziggler ogden utah voiceovers by kirk dot com